Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School, Chicago. I hope and pray that the following message blesses you with peace and hope in Christ, who died and rose for you, for free. It is yours. If you'd like to support God's mission of giving life, hope, peace, joy, and love in the city of Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org. Peace. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So if your parenting experience is anything like mine, and by that I mean if you've had a kid in the last, oh, five to six years, you probably can relate to the idea that your time is mostly dominated by watching hours and hours and hours and hours of the Australian broadcasting channel's Bluey on television. It's this mega hit for uh, the Disney Plus app, and I think it's a really wonderful show for so many different reasons, right? It, it kind of displays family life in this positive way. It goes through the struggles of friendship, of childhood, etc. And one of the episodes really stuck out to me. It has to do with the theme of perfection, right? And one of the characters says to the main character, uh, what does it mean to be perfect? To which they reply that it means to be really, really really, 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 really good. And the rest of the episode, as it unfolds, is Bluey really coming to terms with the fact that she wants to perfect her artwork, and yet it never really gets there, right? The striving after perfection kind of ends in failure, but then ultimately she has to realize that not being perfect is actually okay. But I think at our core, it's not just kids that think this way. I think we're all sort of perfectionists, right? Whether that's at work where we're constantly trying to tinker with things and perfect things. In sports, people are always tinkering with lineups, right? To get things just perfect, right? Just so. Even within church, right? We're always trying to perfect our ability to be a good Christian, right? To understand things perfectly, right? Maybe we're struck by how things are not perfect sometimes, right? We uh, kind of don't get along with one another all the time, right, as church, and so we end up kind of squabbling and bickering, right? Maybe things are not quite perfect because there's that one hymn that you love to sing that for whatever reason we missed over the last year, right? We all know that feeling of wanting to be perfect in all sorts of different aspects of our lives, right? Which brings me to that idea of coming up just short and therefore needing to change things, to tinker with things, is kind of then a a uh, reformational theme in some ways, in other ways it's not, but it reminded me of this Latin phrase. And why say anything if you can say it in, in Latin, right? Latin's just really cool and it makes you sound smart. So popular theologian Karl Barth, by way of St. Augustine, said that ecclesia semper reformanda est, or for you non-Latin speakers, that simply means the church always needs to be reformed right? It always needs to be reformed. Ever reforming is the idea. And so it captures the idea that while Christ is perfect, that's true, his church and its members, myself included, pastors included, laity alike, often are not perfect. I'm sure that none of you can relate to that experience, right? Because ultimately, it actually, it's very tangible. We as Christians squabble with one another, right? We always have theological disputes. We've always got problems with the way the church does this or that. And we're always trying to perfect what's going on within the congregation, right? I've I've been reminded of this phrase that it's like we religiously debate one another rather than living out 
this religion that we're a part of. So we're very used to things not being perfect. And so therefore, the, ref the reformers said, the church always needs to be reformed, right? We see the need, therefore we've got to do it. We have to reform the church continually, right? So the Reformation's main idea, its theme, if you will, is that we're always in need of returning to Christ's words, of returning to that gospel message that we are cared for, we are nourished in the faith, we are forgiven, made new, and set free. Why? Because we're so often apt to stray from that. We're so quick to turn this religion of what God does for us into what we have to do for God. Therefore, we're always in need of returning to the words of Scripture. But there is a certain challenge that's sort of presented by this phrase, the church is ever in need of reform, because it can sound to some like the church is always changing simply for the sake of change, right? That we go wherever the wind blows and we're sort of like the fall leaves carried wherever the wind is, is kind of going, right? And indeed, that phrase has been used up and down the century in fairly negative ways, right? If you think about, about Lutheran history and the Lutheran Reformation, what started with one well-intentioned German monk in the year 1517 soon evolved into this movement across Europe and across the world, really. And so while Luther was focused on the idea that salvation does not come by the degree of penitence or the number of indulgences you've purchased, the good works you've done, that it is solely because of what Christ has done for you, that you receive this by grace through faith, quickly that turned into much more. So if you look at history, the so-called radical reformers quickly started throwing out all sorts of things that Luther didn't intend to toss out. So suddenly, we're throwing out artistic depictions of God and of the characters in the Bible. You'll see that in the radical reformers. So everything here in the sanctuary would have to go, right, according to the radical reformers. When we think about what the radical reformers did, quickly they started to throw out things like the Lord's Supper, things like baptism for appearing to Roman Catholic, right? So quickly this change began to be something that was maybe change for the sake of change. And in my dialogue with my Catholic friends, they will quickly remind us that now Christianity seems more divided, more confused as to what its message actually is today than it was 500 years ago. So critiques of the Reformation are, are definitely present, and they kind of focus around this idea of reform for the sake of reform's sake. But critiques of the Reformation don't have to be big and broad and sweeping either. Instead, Reformation often plays a strange role in the lives of Christian leaders. So if you're anything like me, maybe my age and a little bit older, we grew up in the era of clergy scandal, right? Of people changing their minds, so to speak, on various uh, social issues, church issues, etc. And it seemed that in this era of sort of backsliding and religious betrayal, that the Reformation was oddly claimed in this situation. People said, well, the church is always reforming, and therefore we can change our opinion on big issues, small issues, whatever the case might be. It's an easy phrase to hide behind when you need to change for the sake of change, for the sake of the culture perhaps you're a part of. So as an antidote then to that kind of chaos, we should really consider what the Reformation means at its core. What's the Reformation really all about? 
And the first kind of point that we'll look at is the idea that the church is reformed whether we like it or not, right? Our God is actually a God of reformation. What do I mean by that? Well, fundamentally, what is the Christian faith all about? The Christian faith is about us being changed, right, from our sinful nature into Christ's righteousness, into an image of God, an image of Christ Jesus, right? So God was not content to simply leave his dear children like floundering, right, leaving them in their sinful state. He reformed them into what he intends us to be. This is what C.S. Lewis refers to as the great exchange, wherein our sin is totally stripped away from us, and in its place we receive Christ's righteousness. That's a reformation of a certain kind, right? And so therefore, St. Paul then takes things a little bit farther. He says, God made Christ Jesus to be our sin, even though he himself was sinless so that we might become the righteousness of God. So I would argue that reformation is actually at the heart of the Christian gospel, this total paradigm shift of dysfunction into function, of disgrace, shame, into God's grace. That's the heart of the gospel and what it's all about, right? So that we're changed to be like Christ Jesus, glorious, ever-living. That's the main idea. Secondly, this phrase is kind of confusing, right? Because the verb that's at play, right? The church is always reforming, but the verb itself is actually not always reforming. The verb itself is the church is always being reformed. That's a simple distinction, but the point is it's not simply the church changing itself, right? Instead, it's someone from the outside ever changing the church, ever reforming the church. There's an outside actor here that's ultimately shifting the church into what it's meant to be. I've always loved John's depiction of Jesus as the good shepherd for this reason, right? The good shepherd's voice, an outside voice, is the one that's changing the sheep, right? Herding them to where they're supposed to be, right? Sheep are fundamentally like pretty dumb animals, and so they're not going to do a whole lot of changing from within, and yet they hear their shepherd's voice, they recognize it, and they follow after the good shepherd. So the same is true today. The good shepherd's voice is reformational in the sense that it's always calling out to us, guiding us to where we need to be, right? Shifting us to where we should be as God's people. His voice is the one doing the action and presenting the change that happens within the faith. And the third thing that we're going to kind of think about as far as reformational points is that there's always a standard, right? There's always a standard that the church is reformed to. And by that I mean it's reformed according to the words of Scripture. When you think about the history of the Reformation, so much of what Luther and the Reformers were focused on was translating the Bible so that it would be put into the hands of the common people, right? So in other words, that standard that we have is always what we hold ourselves to. And it's an ancient standard. It's one that stems from Christ Jesus himself. So the whole goal then of the Reformation is to simply put the words of the Lord of life into the hands of everyday folks. We're being reformed, but we're being reformed according to Christ Jesus and what he says about us, not about what we say about ourselves. So there's a key difference that's seen there. 
in the midst of that, we live in this era that I think kind of points us in just the opposite way of the Reformation. And bear with me as I kind of think through it for a moment. The idea is that we always are looking forward to tomorrow for more progress. For anyone that's like a Disney fan, if you've been on the carousel of progress, you know the song that's there where the line is, there's a great big beautiful tomorrow waiting at the end of every day. And I think we all kind of buy into that, right? We think that tomorrow is going to ever be better. It's going to be a sign of more progress, of better living, etc. And it's with that sort of idea in mind that I would say, especially in the last 10, 15 years or so, every social group, every public person, every kind of movement wants to define itself based upon being on the right side of history and therefore anticipating where that's going to be, right? Wanting to be where that tomorrow tells us we should be, right? So that culture kind of points us ever forward, but the Reformation was not actually about this idea of pointing someone to something forward, right? The Reformation might have happened in 1517, so we might think it's an innovation, right? It's pretty far along in church history. But the reformers thought about themselves as presenting something that had been lost. So while kind of culture was pointing them forward, the reformers were saying ever backward, right? Ever looking back to Christ Jesus and the central tenets of Christianity. So it was kind of this representation of something far more ancient. And if you want to get a wonderful book on this topic, I'd highly recommend it. It's very readable, and I would say it's, it's a really great resource for everybody to have. It's this book called Long Before Luther by this author, Nathan Buzenitz, and he presents the idea that the reformers were not so much interested in sort of innovation of the church, right? But instead, the reformers were interested in kind of shouting backward, right? Back to the heart of the gospel, back to the words of Christ Jesus, back to the Lord of life, who then, we would say, presents something that they felt had been lost during the Catholicism of the Middle Ages, right? So the reformers were attempting to kind of repristinate Christian truths, namely that we're saved by grace through faith, and that there's nothing we can add or contribute to that. It's something that's simply done. So then the innovation, we might say, was not on the part of Luther and the Reformers. The innovation, right, the new thing, was the idea that we could add anything to the gospel, the idea that we could work our way to salvation, the idea that we could somehow perfect our faith, or that somehow we could kind of um, go into uh, works of the law that would somehow uh, make us right with God, right? The Reformers said just the opposite, that we should go back to the primary sources where we learn that we have a God that's not focused on our works, that's not focused on the sale of indulgences, not focused on the amount of times we've been to confession, but instead he's a God that's focused solely on the love and mercy that he has for his people that is found in Christ Jesus. So once again, the Lutheran Reformers found themselves saying, We have not a God of works. We have a God of love, of steadfast mercy. We have a God who is slow to anger and abounding in his gracious love. So really, the Reformation was not about what we do and not about how we can perfect the church, but rather it's about what's already done. And again, there's the words of John that remind us the Reformation is really all about those who labor and are heavy laden coming to Christ Jesus and that he's the one that finally gives you rest. There's something very final about that. So in spite of the fact that we're often tempted to see the Reformation as something new, only 500 years in the making, it's actually something quite old. It's actually something quite ancient. 
It's the heart of the gospel kind of captured and presented so that we might know that we are not somehow adding to anything that God has done. But instead, it's the reminder that when Christ Jesus goes to the cross and says, it is finished, that that is actually true. The work has been accomplished. Christ Jesus has set us free from sin, death, and the devil. You are sinless. You are perfected in Christ Jesus. And you are now ever living, right, in light of the resurrection. That's the heart of what Christianity is all about. So yes, Martin Luther started a movement when he nailed the 95 Theses onto the church door in Wittenberg. That much is true. And he challenged the Pope's authority, challenged really the established order of what was happening within Christianity at the time. But ultimately, this caused division not because of what Luther did, but it caused division because we are so naturally tempted to go back to the religion of the law, to go back to the works of the law that are more familiar to us. So Luther was not inventing something more modern, but he was representing something far more ancient and gracious, pointing us to the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is the beginning and the end, who has satisfied all the demands of the law and who has given us rest, grace eternal, and that that can never be robbed from us no matter what kind of institution or what we have to say about it. Simply, Christ Jesus has given himself for us. So it's with that in mind that we can celebrate the Reformation then. We can say that the church is always being reformed. Why? Because Christ Jesus is a reformational voice. He is continually changing our sin into his righteousness. He's changing our shame into his glory. He is changing us from death into life. That word that Christ Jesus speaks is the thing that drove the Reformation in 1517, and it continually drives our reformational celebrations and practices today. So by all means, celebrate the resurrection. Joyfully proclaim that we are a reformed, reformational church body. And ultimately, why are we celebrating? Because we're celebrating simply because Christ Jesus is still speaking still reforming and still shepherding the church yesterday, 500 years ago, today, and ever into the future. And while we we might not be perfect, that reforming voice of Christ Jesus is perfection. And thanks be to God for that. Amen. And now may the peace that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.